You're looking to grow your B2B business? Welcome to the Grow B2B Faster podcast. Here, we dig deep to learn proven growth strategies, hacks, and tools from top CEOs and leaders in sales and marketing to help you grow faster. This episode is powered by Subu, the company that can help you drive thought leadership, hiring, and sales for your B2B business via LinkedIn. Check them out on sawoo.io, S-A-W-O-O.io. I'm very happy to welcome Jamal Reimer, VP Commercial at Sama. Jamal, welcome to our show. Thanks, Sammy. Great to be here. So tell me about your company, Sama. Um, what are you doing? Uh, Sama is basically, uh, well, we, we, so we're a software company. We have SaaS solutions that are artificial intelligence and machine learning tools specifically for the life sciences arena, primarily pharmaceutical companies, but also some of the uh, contracting organizations that work around them. So basically biotech. Okay, very interesting. And what is your job at Sama? So I'm, I'm a, a, the VP of sales for the largest accounts. We break out accounts from the top 20 because those are the global pharmaceutical companies that that are that are truly global and, and massive in size and then there's this next tier down which is for us the next 200 which is a different sales team so i run sales for the top 20 accounts yeah so you you're basically responsible for the very big whales uh, that's right exactly yeah and um that's how i also got aware of you uh, or became aware of you because i saw a post on linkedin um about this topic and i found it really interesting what you were saying um, about how to approach um, like hunting for these big whales and, and closing these very, very big software as a service deals. So I'm very happy that you are um, you're willing to basically give away some of your insights here. Um, yeah. Can you give me a proxy of the size and or growth of, of Sama? Uh, well, we've got about uh, 1,400 employees right now. And as of today, we are... Uh, nearing the end of a very uh, significant funding round. And um, you're looking for the size of the company or the size of the deals that we do? What's the, the first size of company. And after that, I'm I'm going to ask about the size of this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're dead, you know, so it's, it's kind of a, it's a 20 year old scale up. That's mm -hmm. a company that started as a services provider for years, you know, 15 plus years. And then about five years ago, made the decision to make a pivot into a product company. Okay. So since then, we've been building our products in, in, a, in a platform. Mm -hmm. And so now, of course, the valuation of the company is growing quite rapidly because, as you know, a, a services company is something like three times revenue and a, and a software company is, is you know, 10, 15 you know, yeah. multiples. So, yeah, that's kind of an indication of the general trajectory that we're going. That is super interesting um, because, I mean, in the end, you only hear about these, like in the press at least, about these SaaS companies that start with nothing and then they build up. And, and I think there are a lot of hidden champions out there that basically start out as a service company, um, find a customer pain, uh, find a way to solve it faster for themselves by building maybe a tech product find out that maybe, wow, this could be something that we can even sell. And then they become a software company. Um, and it can be like a little bit longer road if you're an entrepreneur going this road, uh, route. But um, 
I think it's also a valid one um, where you can build a really sustainable big company. So I really like uh, that that uh, your company did it this way. Yeah, and it's also it's also a way that you can start with a higher margin, right? Because there's a higher margin. It's not as scalable, but starting with services, it's a much higher margin. So if you can successfully start a business in, in uh, with a services offering, if there's a, a surplus, then just covering your burn rate, then you can use that excess to build out a product. So you don't That's have to exactly. give away so much equity. Uh, absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing at Savu. <laughs> That's our playbook. Um, so how big are the basically the deals that you aim to close? Um, they are increasing by leaps and bounds. So our model, uh, we're, we're, our model is shifting mm-hmm. from selling to the, in previous years, we had, had sold primarily to the smaller, the SMB biotechs. And now with some, with the advent of a couple of particular products, that are very suited to the very large players that those are who we're going for now. So what's happening is it's either going from zero to eight figures, or it's going from zero to a few hundred K. Oh, well, a few hundred, several hundred thousand into eight figures. And eight figures on a, like a ARR or what are we talking about? Uh, eight no, eight, eight figures in the total deal, but okay. several million ARR. Okay, yeah, that is yeah. huge. I mean, especially as you said in the beginning, if you if you know that your company valuation is like 10, 15 times um, revenue, I mean, you add big chunks of company value by closing one deal. Exactly. I, the, the nature of it really is that it's really enterprise selling. And what we mean by enterprise selling in this space is that uh, it's a tool that would be used across all of the clinical trials that a pharmaceutical company does. Mm-hmm. So even though it's one business unit, it's the driver for growth. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's, a, it's a tool or, or a set of tools that's applicable across all of their clinical trials. And so it's basically like spend a little bit of money to try it out, mm-hmm. uh, either in a controlled environment or in a very limited number of production trials. And then once you like it and you you see that it works, use it on all the trials, which creates a huge hockey stick as soon as they turn it on. And it's also a nice way to get into a company so they don't have to decide on a big deal at the beginning. They can have a proof of value, so to say, um, with a smaller deal. And if it works out, you can up cross it in the company. Correct. That's really nice. Um, so you're an expert in closing these very, very big software as a service deals. Um, and I read uh, on your LinkedIn profile that you closed over 160 million in, in SaaS deals over your, your lifetime. Maybe it's even more now. So um, it's fair to say that you created uh, more than um, one to two billion of company value. <laughs> and um, well, how, how did you end up where you are right now? Were you like a, a sales pro at the beginning already? Or what is like your personal tra- trajectory um, to, to getting where you are right now? Uh, my first sales experience was selling books door to door in college. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what kind been, of books did you sell? 
but they were edged in America. Most people know of encyclopedias, right? These huge volumes of, 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 of alphabetized uh, books filled with facts and figures, mm-hmm. but that wasn't it. It was actually something much smaller, it was still educational books, but like they were called study guides. And so, yeah, we, we, I worked for a company that sold these books door to door. I did it every summer for, for five summers. So four for university. And then one year after, um, and that that's where it started. But y- your question is how did I get here? Right. To, to, yeah, but to it's learn. a starting point. So I'm interested in how you got from selling books to how you like and ended up basically where you are right now selling, yeah. like, closing big, big deals. So I guess you could look at it in stages. The, The first stage was just the lear- learning the basics of how to sell anything. And I learned that through selling books door to door. It was a very simple sale. It was a sale that one person could make a decision on. And the total sales cycle was about 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then after you know a return to university for graduate school and travel and other things, um, I really got my first enterprise opportunity with a with a small CRM company in the Chicago area. And uh, that was because I had been a, a founder in a failed startup that sold to financial services firms. So I had a Rolodex of people that I was talking to in financial services, and that was attractive to this company. So they gave me a chance to be an enterprise seller right off the bat. Back then, th- this is in the 90s, and you know we didn't have SDRs. We didn't have this culture of, of startups. So startups were doing it however they could. And this company uh, sold through you know, field sales reps that, that, that traveled to go meet customers, et cetera, just right off the bat. So that was my first sales experience. And, and there we were selling deals from 50K to 250K. Mm-hmm. And then from there, there was just a progression. There was, there was a really bumpy period. I worked for like three or four startup or early stage companies uh, and I had various levels of success. I was fired twice in a row for, for non-performance or underperformance. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was really kind of just down on myself and, and I wasn't sure if, you know, I, I started questioning is sales really for me? Am I ever going to be good at this? And then somehow I wound up getting um, a, a field position at Oracle. Uh, on the East Coast. And so I started working for Oracle and immediately this lead came to me for something that was super large at the time. And for me, large was, it turned out to be two and a half million. Oh, that's big. And so from, from there, that was the next phase. So first phase was really simple stuff, selling books door to door. Then the next phase was you know, just cutting my teeth, so to speak, in enterprise sales at the 50 to 250 level. Then I get to Oracle and it becomes uh, a million plus dollar game. Uh, and then it was somewhere along the line. Actually, I know exactly when it was. It was, it was 2012 where um, we had a customer that was doing some run rate business with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they were extremely unhappy with our services, with our team, with the software, it was a kind of a crisis period. And we were thinking, and we might lose this customer. So we all rolled up our sleeves and through a lot of mentorship from my then VP of sales and my then VP of services, 
They basically mentored me on the job during the sales cycle in how to do transformational deals. Mm -hmm. And we turned that crisis situation of a run rate customer into more than 5X and and we closed the deal within nine months for $50 million total contract value. That is huge. So that's really where the difference was made in in one specific experience. But I needed a, a... a good bit of a career just to be able to understand the language and the basics of how to be a part of a, a cycle like that. Mm-hmm. But then during that very intense nine month period, I learned, I learned more during that nine months than I had in the previous, you know, decade of my career. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the foundation of, of your focus right now. It is, it is. Um, there were a few really, key components of that. And if you want to go into that, you know, we, we can do that next. So now I'm really curious about uh, the following, because I mean, um, I talk to many sales and marketing leaders and, and the opinions go into either one or the other way. Um, and the question is, um, what do you say to B2B sales leaders who think it's all about action and numbers? Um, and the more we do, the better. Well, I, I guess the first thing I should say is activity is important. <clears throat> you know, you you need to be in motion to 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 learn and to grow. But I think that there's different quality uh, levels in activity, and I think uh, putting activity as the primary driver of growth is a big, big mistake. Um, rather, I, th- I th- in many ways, many sellers grow up with the idea that sales is a numbers game, mm-hmm. and I think that's. Uh, true at the fundament uh, at the at the early uh, level of understanding sales because if you do enough activity even if you're a poor seller you're going to have some small percentage of success yes and the activity will just protect you from having a complete zero mm-hmm. but when you're really looking to advance and to optimize your time because time is the biggest you know, resource that we don't have control. You can't buy more time. There's only so many hours in a day. Then we have to be particular and intentional about which activities that we do. So now, as my understanding of sales has progressed, I can clearly see that uh, sales is no longer a, um, a numbers game, but it's rather an impact game. Mm-hmm. So we can all make choices about the different activities that we do, and we can choose to craft a series of impactful activities that'll have a much greater result than simply as many activities as possible in the shortest period of time. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to the small medium uh, deals, um, I think many are still focusing on blasting out a lot of messages through various channels like email or code calling and, and whatnot, and it, it may work, But um, we are talking about these very big deals and they are not like 5,000 potential leads that you very likely have for your company or 10,000 where you can just blast out emails and um, if 1% stick, everything is fine. So you very likely, I assume, have to have a different playbook. Um, So I'm really curious, um, what should you do to, to like differently? Like, how do you, how do you approach? So if, if your CEO says, well, I have these five to 10 companies I really want to get into. How, how do you get started? And what is your playbook? 
Yeah. Uh, well, the first two things that come to mind is um, research and networking. So research, when you have a very small number of accounts, they could be huge accounts, but if you have a small number of accounts, um, you have almost the luxury of being able to go into deeper research on each one. If you compare two reps, one has 50 to 100 accounts, the other rep has 10 or less. Uh, the rep with 10 or less is going to have, uh, it's going to make more sense to do deeper research on some subset of the 10 accounts. So let's say she picks three. The rep picks three accounts and goes deep into each one of them. You, you, doing research on the large accounts makes all the sense in the world <clears throat> because it's the it's the enterprise version of personalization, you know, personalization of uh, out, outbound outreach or what you send them in collateral, et cetera. But in the enterprise space, it's really coming to understand a problem of great magnitude, first identifying it and then really understanding it, what they've tried, what they're going to try to do, what's the priority of that problem for the, the C-suite this year. Uh, is the are, are there specific initiatives around the problem? Are they funded? Are they sponsored? And, and, and all of these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I could talk for a whole day, Sammy, just about uh, research, how to do it, where to look and all that other kind of good stuff. But you're asking me, what do you do different? There's, so there's a few things. Mm -hmm. So one is the whole concept of really good research. Mm -hmm. And the other, I, I say networking. And I say networking uh, instead of prospecting. Um, so to me, what, what that looks like. So if you take Sama where I am right now, we've got uh, very active, a uh, very active board of directors and, and, and board of advisors. And those directors and advisors have been chosen because of their market knowledge and because of uh, the, the breadth of the relationships that they have across the industry. <laughs> so my first port of call is to go to the friendliest people I can who already have full longstanding relationships with the types of people who I want to connect with. And then I find out, you know, do you have any specific relationships with people at these three accounts? Mm -hmm. And so we start a whole process of two things. One, it helps me with research because they can tell me what they know either because it's a company that they used to work for, or they know a lot about it through, you know, just being in the industry and being close with other colleagues there. And then secondly, they can create introductions at a much higher level uh, than I could ever produce through cold calling in, you know, three to six months. Yes. I, I mean, that's, that's a really, really, I think overlooked step for many companies. Um, and I just saw it in, in my company on a very, very small scale. So we are like really, really small, but still we have a small board of advisors and I just see what kind of intros we get to those people. I never did it actively. So they just say, hey, I found someone else who really has a problem that you are solving really well, Sammy. Should I connect you? So I never approached them and said, hey, who else do you know? Do you maybe have um, contact to this, this, and this person? But then uh, the whole game, like looking at it from a step before you start sales is building a really good board of like directors or, or supervisors or advisors um, with the goal of having entrance points to the main customers you want to have later on. Um, so that's, that's a cool step. Do, do you know how you like basically incentivize those people? I mean, 
uh, I, so I, I didn't create the relationship, so I don't know how they're incentivized here, but I'm the, the typical way to do it is with options and shares. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And right. so that, you know, you align, you align the interests and the, and the, uh, uh, you make basically performance based, uh, incentives. And the way that it works is that if, you know, their Rolodex can help you get in to sell more stuff, then the value of their shares go up. And then that's, you know, uh, an asset that they're holding that'll be able to be, you know, liquidated upon an, some type of an exit. So everybody's incented to the, to, to work on the same thing. Great. And we, in, in our pre-interview, we, we talked about blue ocean and red ocean uh, strategies and sales. Um, and the red ocean was basically doing what everybody else was doing, like blasting out emails, code coding and all that stuff. And the blue ocean, this is one example of a blue ocean strategy that you mentioned, basically going going in, in a, or, or attacking basically a, a potential client in a way that is not overcrowded. Yeah. Um, so do you have other examples or tactics uh, that you can share on how to get like the, the first access to a potential high value client or decision maker? So if you look at the uh, prospecting or, you know, connecting, making initial connections with prospects, there's a continuum on, on the one side, there's absolutely cold prospecting. Just sending this person an email out of the blue. You don't, you have no context, no nothing. On the other extreme is um, a warm introduction from a well-known person through which the, there's already a deep relationship there. The trust is there, experience is there, familiarity, uh, no like and trust. It's all there. That's the continuum. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle, there's a very interesting space as well for small group activities. Mm-hmm. So lots of startups do webinars, invite the whole world, try to get a hundred people on one call yeah, and blast out numbers. some message. Yeah, yeah. It's all about numbers. I want to have 50, a hundred, 200. And if it's uh, fewer, then it was not a success. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, I think is, can, is a very successful strategy is to do the round tables, you know, three people, five people, no more than eight people, but who are all of a certain level and they all have some kind of commonality. Primarily, it's usually industry. Mm-hmm. There, could be, there could be other ways that they become birds of a feather, so to speak, but primarily they would be industry peers at a certain level to talk uh, not only about a specific topic where you might bring one person in to have kind of a didactic presentation, Mm-hmm. But so often the value of these small groups is the mastermind model, right? Where you get, where you come together to share best practices, to share common struggles, and sometimes to collaborate, to find a way to solve a common problem. And uh, that's, ex- that's extremely successful for us because it's, it's the absolute opposite of a webinar. You know, you, you don't feel like you're one of many. You don't feel like you're being talked at. You're 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 discussing and you're actually contributing as well as consuming content or, or or benefit. And lots of good things happen after that because people in these groups, if they're not already talking to each other, they begin to talk with each other separately. But then they still like the cohesiveness of this small group that that's brought together. And then your brand as the convener of this group starts to rise. 
parallel to the level of value that the group is getting from it, the members. Yeah. yeah, I really like the concept. Can you can you give us like a um, hands-on example on how you started such a group and like also you like from 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 there's nothing to how you conduct such a meeting? Is it online? Is it offline or both? And what you do afterwards? Sure. Well, usually there's some critical mass, either with an individual or mm -hmm. two or three individuals that are, are, are positively disposed to you in some way. So either they're a, uh, an initial customer that you've just showered with attention and success and, and they, they, they appreciated that success, or they're one of these relationships that are so into what you do and they want to see you be successful. They will be a champion, not necessarily, you know, we, we speak of champions in a sales cycle, but these are also just champions for, for your cause or, you know, to see your company have success. Mm -hmm. So they are kind of the, 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 the stake in the ground, right? They're the foundation of this. And from there, they're either helping attract others or, or their name or brand alone is enough for you to go invite somebody else and say, Hey, this person who's such an expert in this area is going uh, to be at this, uh, small group event, would you like to come and meet her as well and, and, and have a one-on-one -on -one or a small group dialogue with her? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can get enough. I mean, three people is enough to do the first one. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's pretty much how we've started that at Sama. And now we're getting 10, 20 uh, senior, you know, we, we get people from various levels all the way up to quite senior to be a part of our roundtable <clears throat> programs and we get really, really good feedback from it. Now, so far, you know, we, we've started this effort during the pandemic. So everything's been on zoom, but clearly um, there is a, a desire as, on the part of the members to actually get together and to, to, to see each other, to, to have these sessions as well. Mm -hmm. So there, there can cl clearly be a mix of online or in person as well. And then frequency, you you don't want to do it terribly often. Mm -hmm. So it, it once a quarter could be enough. Mm -hmm. I would I wouldn't do it more than once a month. That doesn't make sense, especially for the more more senior people. So I would say somewhere between uh, three to four times a year for mm -hmm. something like that probably makes sense. Perfect. And if you bring in these five five people, for example, for a Zoom meeting, what is the agenda of the meeting? Like, how do you structure it, especially? Online, I think it's a little bit harder to get these one-on-one -on -one interactions going that you would have in an, in an offline setting where you just get people together and they start talking to one another. So how do you do it um, online? Yeah, well, you really have to have kind of a conversation starter, or some kind of ignition of the conversation. So typically what, what makes sense is to have um, a speaker or a presenter, and it could be just one of the group. It doesn't have to be somebody external to the group. It can be one of the group to present on a use case that they're 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 doing in their company mm -hmm. that could have something or it, it could be about your product. But sometimes it's even better when it's not about your product because you want your brand to be around a topic or um, a capability or a cause. You don't want your group to be around a product. This is not a user group. This is this is a, this is a mastermind group that is here to help around a certain area of their business. Mm -hmm. So you have a speaker or a presenter, either internal or external uh, to the group, give a presentation, but not terribly long, 20 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. 
And then the next thing that happens is lots of QA about the presentation mm -hmm. content. And then the next thing that happens is more of a round table where everybody uh, either um, presents or less formally than presents speaks to um, the topic that was brought up by the speaker or, or brings up something completely new. Hey guys, this, this is kind of an emergency situation that I'm faced with and I'm dealing with it this way. Does that make sense? Or would you do it different? And, and then it's kind of a free conversation. And that's really the open, the open round table mm -hmm. where the participants have, uh, you can guide them to a limited extent, but then the conversation takes a life of its own at that point. But you started it through getting people thinking about a certain topic with a specific speaker who kind of kicks things off. But you don't want that speaker to dominate the whole period because the value is in the conversation of the group. Perfect. And is there anything you do after such a meeting? Oh, yeah. Uh, we follow up and we we send out the materials and um Uh, sometimes there's recordings, but not so often because these folks are generally pretty senior and they don't want to have their comments, you know, uh, out of their control. Yeah. Um, uh, other than that, the the people who are on the call will sometimes come to the to the sales team because we, we we don't attend. We we just want so one of the magic components of doing a roundtable in this way is it is the furthest thing from a sales event. This truly is something that's just for the benefit of relatively senior people in a specific industry. Mm -hmm. But if there are comments or if, if people sometimes will raise, we, we had one where somebody said, you know what I'd really like to see is somebody take up um, a specific use case and build some software to solve the problem. And to make it work, we'd need everybody's input, you know? And so Uh, the the company people who were on that call came to us and came to development and said, hey, there's an opportunity here for a partnership. It's not a straight sale. It's more of a development, uh, but they're willing to uh, put their people's time and effort in to make it happen. So sometimes the follow-ups um, come from the conversation. Mm -hmm. But other than, other than specific follow-ups that come during the conversation, the only real follow-ups is to help people um, you know, get a hold of the content, see what's going to be next. Somebody's going to volunteer to be the next speaker, usually. And well, and then the that's free awesome. ideas. And... So you basically ask uh, the, the attendees or you, you have an active look on who said something interesting to say and then say, hey, would you be up to be the next speaker? And then it's yes. becoming self-accelerating. That's right. And people are saying, oh, I could do something like that and about what we did on that topic next month or, you know, the, the next session that we have, or I know somebody who's really good about this topic that's come up at the end of our conversation. Maybe I can get him to come and be a speaker. Yeah. I really love it because um, it's absolutely the opposite that many people assume um, software as a sales company scale fast or, or get really big um, because it's like such on such a, like intimate way of, of interacting with the potential clients. But um, I vaguely remember reading something about Slack, and they also did it this way. They created user groups and, and meetings in, in um, cities, basically, invited their potential clients. That was more bottom-up. Um, but still, it was the same way, and it's all coming back to providing value to your target group, being top of mind for a specific, um, like at least not only your product, but a topic in general.
I think people try basically this reciprocity. Um, so basically, good karma. If you do something good, it will come back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. And you also mentioned another way of um, of getting a hold of people where you don't get a direct introduction. It's basically um, creating your own podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's another way. So um, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of the idea of delivering value before you ask for anything. And so one of the greatest points of value that you can bring is um, to, to have a platform and then to offer that platform to someone else to get help them get their message out. Mm -hmm. So just by um, offering to have somebody, it, it, it's a very non, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a soft way or a non-aggressive way of creating a relationship to create a piece of content together, a, 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 a podcast episode. Mm -hmm. uh, in which the speaker gets to get their message out. And for that, they're going to feel um, grateful for the opportunity and willing and really wanting to reciprocate in some way. And that aspect of reciprocation can um, take the form of talking about a business relationship through doing uh, some kind of a deal. So sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, um, that type of an interaction through a, creating a podcast episode can lead to an increase in sales. So that's a really great, it, it's a great element that gets you off of what I call the, the, pro, the prospecting superhighway of email, you know, cold email, cold phone calls. You know, the, that highway is so clogged. It's uh, incredibly inefficient. And so these other ways that, you know, the, the podcast, the uh, warm introductions through peer references, the roundtables, these are ways that are much, much less roads that are much less traveled. Yeah. And therefore, they're, they're much more open. Uh, the, 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 the acceptance rates are much higher and uh, the effectiveness is much greater. Yeah, you said um, in, our, in our conversation before, it's like selling above the clouds. And it's a nice term that you used there. And um, I I mean, you, you can tell because you did it both ways, but um, is it more fun this way to be like a salesperson? It's, it's another world altogether. And I, 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 I say it unapologetically, I hate sales, like that version of sales. I hate the, the, the scriptedness. I hate the uh, kind of the, the false persona that so many sellers feel that they need to put on. I hate the repetitive nature of, of the, the low level activities. All of that stuff is in my view, kind of from the past and the current and the future is much more. I mean, th these themes are out there in the, in the general conversation of, of B2B sales, but, you know, having more integrity, just being a human, you know, selling from the heart, You know these concepts uh, um, they 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 make a lot of sense, but we have to bring them into a material form. Yeah. And to do that, we've got to get away from the mechanisms that have been used in the past, too much email, too much cold outreach on the phone, et cetera, and become much more creative and much more uh, much more giving and and much less about how to qualify fast, how to demo fast, how to get a yes or no fast, and move on.
it's going to be really interesting how the whole um, sales organization will change over the next five years because I assume at least um, this is not sustainable like what you just described that everybody's blasting out through the same channels and conversion rates are dropping and nobody really likes it but they still do it um, and I assume that uh, the role of an SDR will change over time like my personal um, perception is that um, providing value will become much more important and uh, then basically shifting this role to someone who will become an expert in providing value or generating value for your potential clients and of course bringing this value in front of their eyes but um, it's probably a much more enjoyable job than than it is right now i mean i think there are going to be as you mentioned there'll be huge changes and disruptions to the selling process uh, I think the biggest threat is to the lower level sales at the SDR level. Mm-hmm. That uh, technology is going to take a good chunk of today's SDRs. Um, it, it will take care of those tasks. On the higher level, with what are currently known as field reps, um, I think there's also certainly going to be a shift there in terms of it's going to be less about managing the sales process and more about being an SME, be, being uh, somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it now. I'm, I'm the furthest thing from an SME in my own space. Uh, I don't come from a pharmaceutical background or a scientific background. So I'm really good at managing a sales process, but I can see I could get further faster if I was somebody who could actually run some of the meetings myself rather than having to bring an expert in. Mm-hmm. I think that's only going to continue. And I'm, I'm hearing more and more you know, uh, not specifically to me. I don't know if the people that I work with would would say it to me, but I hear about, you know, people who are corporate buyers talk about the fact that, oh, we could could make so much more ground if I didn't have to first have a qualifying conversation with a salesperson before they could go get the resource that really knows the software or knows the industry. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some really huge challenges coming at different levels of the of, of the sales spectrum, both at the SDR level, that's going to be technology. And at the higher level, there's going to be more and more demand mm-hmm. to be that expert, not just the seller. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Um, you basically showed me a really, really nice way of how you approach a big organization that uh, that you want to crack as a customer. Um, you called it the, the power map. Um, can you maybe um, explain what it is, how you use it, and um, how someone who never did it before can maybe directly start it? Sure. Uh, a, a power map is a very simple tool. It's a one-page tool, which is um, which I use in conjunction with an organizational chart. So with an org chart, we all know what those look like. They're basically you know, department heads or business unit heads and then all the people who report to them mm-hmm. in a hierarchical representation. And the goal of an organizational tar- chart is to know who's who in the zoo, you know, who's out there, who works for who, who reports to, you know, who, who are the bosses, who are the worker bees and who has the influence, et cetera. But it's, it's a fairly static and hierarchical representation. When you take that and you put it aside and you pull out all of the influencers and the decision makers only, mm-hmm. and you put them on a one pager and you group them in logical buckets of uh, uh, business function, you can start to see the relationships between them 
And then you can make, uh, you know, little annotations in terms of how does this person perceive me, my customer, me, my product or my company? Mm-hmm. Are they positively disposed? Are they neutral? Are they negatively disposed right now? And if they're negative, how do we turn them towards us? Or how do we kind of limit the damage that they could do to the, to the, to the sales process that I'm trying to run? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically a very simple uh, uh, representation of how to identify um, where to focus your time and effort and the relationships between those players to be able to know that, you know, I think it was the challenger customer said that uh, their research yielded that now decisions are made by 5.4 people on average, a committee, you know, on average is about 5.4 people and that's just growing. So, you know, there's the business itself, there's IT, sometimes there's security, there's legal procurement, uh, compliance, you know, the, the list can kind of really, really grow. Mm-hmm. So the power map is a way to be able to distill down, not just know who, who's everybody and where do they sit in the organization, but who are the key people mm-hmm. and how do we track um, what we're doing with them, um, where their mind is in terms of what they're trying to achieve and us and competitors and et cetera, who influences each other and who should I, as a seller, be mapping from my company to be able to interface, who are the right people to map, mm-hmm. you know, executive to executive, to technical expert, to technical expert, to user, to pre-sales, you know, these kind of relationships. Yeah, and it's really powerful. I mean, I saw it, so um, you showed me an example and it's, it, it may sound complicated, but it's super simple. In fact, yeah, it's really like you said, you have like these, for example, six departments. So you have six squares, you have a department head. And for example, for IT, you have the head, the name just written down of the department head and then the four or five people below that. And if someone is positively um, inclined to, to basically uh, be in favor of your product, he gets like a green plus one. If someone is neutral, it's a zero. And if someone is negatively inclined, it's a red minus one. So you directly see on the map, are we green? Where's something red? Do we have to do something differently? And then you you do basically a simple error of uh, like this person is basically influencing that person. So Mr. Miller is in- influencing um, Mr. Reimer, for example. So I have to get to Mr. Miller to positively impact Mr. Reimer. Yeah. And um, so it's and simple is beautiful. It doesn't have to be complicated all the time. If you if you do it this way, you already have all the information on a one pager and you can basically also discuss internally um, very fast on, on, on your actions that you want to take. So I really loved uh, this simple concept. Yeah. And that's often, Sammy, that's a real challenge. Um, I've seen training programs or I've seen some companies efforts to try to uh, standardize or document the process of doing large and complex deals. And it's a, it's a common mistake in my view to make really complex documents to be able to track all this stuff. Certainly there's enough complexity in the deal to, uh, I guess you could say justify complicated documents to hold all of that information, but it's usability and its effectiveness is, is much lower when those documents and the representations of the deals are, are, are overly complex. Yeah. So the challenge is to find the sweet spot with how do I document the most important components of this deal 
both in terms of the history and the current state and the future, meaning where we're trying to go in this plan that we're trying to run. And if you can, if you can manage all three of those in a simple way, it's going to keep your velocity quite high. And that's a challenge. Nobody has the perfect answer. Yeah, but it's actionable. So um, having something that is actionable is much more important than having something that is 100% accurate uh, and, and almost nobody can handle it. And um, Jamal, I basically, st I studied mathematics, financial mathematics, and I still remember a professor telling me, yeah, we could add like, instead of only using three variables for this model, we could add like three or four more, but then I probably wouldn't understand it as good anymore and it doesn't get much better. So I just keep it simple so that I understand it. And that always stuck with me. And this guy was a genius in what he was doing. Um, <laughs> so you basically applied the concept to this and, and it works. Yeah. So it's cool. That's the closest I ever got to genius. <laughs> Very good. Now, I don't know if you announced it anywhere else now, but you have a new book coming out. I, I do. And this is the first uh, announcement that out, outside of LinkedIn about it. It's uh, uh, the book is called Mega Deal Secrets. And it's basically, uh, what do you want to call it? A sales novel. It's the it's the story of my first large deal that happened back in 2012. And so it's really, uh, it, it offers an over the shoulder look into what actually happens step-by-step day-by-day through uh, a sales cycle that's many months long and has a whole host of characters, both on uh, you know the players who are on my team, as well as all the players on the customer's team. And when is it coming out exactly? What um, it'll it'll be about a month. I, I, I don't know if I, you want to date it by giving it a date, but uh, the, the printing should be done. Uh, I, I would say by uh, end of November, mm -hmm. it should be coming out. So latest December, we can basically have a look and buy it. Certainly. And I'm, I'll be happy to give you a link for people yes. who want to reference the book uh, that you can put in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, even if you have a link where people basically can subscribe to an email and just get notified when uh, when the book is ready, if you have something like this, I, um, I do. I have a I have an email list. It's called the A list, and mm -hmm. I'll give you that link as well. Mm -hmm. And everybody who's on the E list will certainly be getting uh, multiple notifications about the status of the launch date. Okay, that's very good. We put it into the show notes. Um, so we are already like at the end of our show, and I have five rapid fire questions lined up for you. Go for it. Um, so sales is always like a super stressful job usually, even if you do it in a different way and um, like, like you're doing it now, you're always like responsible to, to hit quota and to, to get something done, you know? So what do you do to keep body and mind also fit and sharp um, besides like this really hardcore job, you could say? Uh, a few things. One is I, I run. Uh, I run in the morning before the day really gets started, uh, 11 kilometers, uh, three times a week. Okay. Cool. Second thing, which is relatively new, I have this new self-imposed mandate where I need to be in bed at or before 10 o'clock at night. And that really, really helps what me personally, every hour of sleep that I get before midnight is like worth two hours of sleep after midnight. So that's a big one. And the third thing, I have a morning routine, uh, you know, which is a, a combination of breathing exercises, meditation, prayer, and visioning. Okay. Um, can, can you maybe like expand a little bit on your morning routine? Because I'm super interested. Sure. So uh, I will um, 
I will sit down and uh, I, I started a breathing exercise to just change my state. And it both uh, begins to get the, the blood flowing and, you know, the air flowing. And so it kind of activates my body. And then I do some meditation just to also change my state to become calm. Mm -hmm. And I try to, um, you know, let whatever thoughts are going pass through. I can never really get to a thoughtless state. So I just let the, 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 the thoughts kind of pass through. Mm -hmm. And then um, I, I say, I pray, I pray. I'm a, I'm a believer. Uh, I, I believe in God. So I say prayers uh, for things that are important to me, to, to be close to God, for, for my children and family, for the state of the world, whatever it is that I feel like that, that moment. And then I do some, um, I do a gratitude exercise, which is I, I feel with all the intensity of the moment, the things that I'm the most grateful for. That piece alone is probably the most calming and reassuring uh, component of my of my whole morning routine is the gratitude uh, piece, because if if I remember things that I'm grateful for, I'm instantly I, I go into a state of huh everything's okay. There are really good things in my life, therefore everything is okay. I do not lack. I am not without. I don't have huge gaps, and I'm not, I'm 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 filled. I'm, I'm filled and I'm grateful for being filled. Then the last piece is visioning, which is I, I think about uh, the greatness in me and how to bring it out for the day and how the greatness in me is going to accomplish specific things. And I never do more than three things. Uh, it, sometimes it's just one. It, you know, I, I, I go into that piece saying, you know, if I really give my best, if I get this one thing done today, it will have been a, a worthwhile day. And that goes back to what you were talking about, simplicity. Um, if we overload ourselves with a to-do list of 20 things, um, you're not exactly in a calm state. You're going to be in a, I, I'm quite behind. I don't know if I can get this done type of yeah. mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And focusing on one thing, you usually do it really well. If you have five things lined up and you try to jump between things, then it's, it's going to get messy. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite business book? Um, favorite business. I mean, there are just so many. So what I think I would do is I would, I would, I would say one book that has really impacted me that I'm reading right now. It's called the qualified sales leader. I'll have to look up the name of the author, but, um, it's just an excellent, excellent book. Yeah. Um, I sent it to you. Oh, did you send it to me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for the recommendation. I, I was also recommended by a whole. I, I did a post and I asked, "What What, what are your favorite uh, books?" So maybe yours was the first one. But I had like three, four people. Oh, but it's a good book. It doesn't matter where it came from. It's a really good book. Yeah, and it's uh, so much of what's in it. I already knew at some extent, but it it um, it stated it so well and so simply. And in a way that really makes you think and remember it and contextualize it into your sales process. Um, it, it's just a, a really impactful book. So thank you for the recommendations. No, no, no. Um, Paying big dividends. <laughs> um, I also put it into the show notes for anyone who wants to read that one. Um, do you have a favorite business leader that you follow? Um, there, there are a few. I mean, certainly I was a huge fan of Jobs while he was alive. And, you know, I, I, I watch others. Um, I'm, I'm less inclined to watch individual um, sales leaders uh, and much more uh, about individuals who are 
who are actually in my life. So I, I look at examples, uh, if they're at my company, if they're friends or family, I watch what they do and I try to emulate the stuff that the things that I admire in them. Mm -hmm. um, who should be our next podcast guest and why? Um, I would say a, a great, a great podcast guest would be another podcast host. Uh, his name is Scott Ingram, and he runs uh, a sales-related podcast that's called um, Sales Success Stories. Mm -hmm. um, he's just an excellent human being. He has all the integrity in the world, and he he cares about um, who I care about, individual contributor salespeople and their well-being, their, their 360 well-being, not just in the sales world, but uh, but across the board. Thanks for that. And now you can directly address our audience. Anything that we can help you with, Jamal? And anything? What? Anything we can help you with? Um, I I think there's a huge gap in the in in the broader conversation about enterprise sales. And so, one thing that I'm passionate about is making a space that's specific to enterprise sellers, because I think that there's a lot that's available for either beginner sellers or um, SDRs, you know, folks who are kind of closer to the beginning of their overall sales journey, but there's not a lot available for kind of dyed in the wool, relatively experienced um, enterprise sellers. And that's something that I'm trying to work with um, in, in terms of building a community. Mm -hmm. So either if that's of interest, both in terms of if you're an if you're an enterprise seller and you want to be a part of something like that, please get in touch. Or if you'd like to support it, you know, you're, you're a sales leader or, you know, some kind of function like that, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear from you because a community of enterprise sellers is something that I think that would be a huge service to, to our audience. Um, I can directly put you in touch with a few of ones of our clients who are enterprise sellers. So that could be interesting for you and them. Um, how can get people in touch with you? Well, you mentioned it and I'll, I'll give it in the notes. Um, There's my there's my email list. That's one way to just to kind of follow my content. But to follow to to get in touch with me, yes. just connect with me on LinkedIn, Jamal Reimer, and I'm sure you'll have the spelling of my name also in the notes. Yeah, it's J A M A L, and then R E I M E R, and we also put it into the show notes. That's it. I don't think there's more than one on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> yeah, but if they connected with the company Sama, it's S A A M A, then they're gonna find you. That's it. Awesome. And um, that's it for now. Uh, thank you so much for all your insights. I hope some people can close big deals now with your help. Um, and well, it was a pleasure to have you on our show, Jamal. Sammy, the pleasure was all mine. Thanks so much for having me. If you liked the show, please leave us a rating and subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new episode. Do you want to grow your B2B business, win new employees, and drive sales with a podcast content engine? So who can help? Simply schedule a strategy call with our host, Sammy Gebele. Get in touch on LinkedIn or via sawoo.io, S-A-W-O-O.io. You can also find all contact details in our show notes. Thanks and see you next time.